0: Welcome to the Storyform Podcast, where we journey together at the intersection of faith and story. I'm your host, Will Chenault, Soul Care Pastor at Fellowship Bible Church in Jackson, Tennessee. Thanks for joining us on this podcast. Let's get this conversation started. Well, hello to everyone, and today on the Storyform Podcast, I have as my very special guest... Um, good friend, uh, Jen Wilson, and uh, Jen is going to come. I invited Jen on the podcast because Jen. I would say this about you that you and Matt um, are some of the most generous people that I know. Um, with your um, w- with all that God has has given you and your your ability to leverage that for. Um, The influence and the care of others. Um, I have just watched both you and Matt over the years um, and just seen such generosity in your lives and so that's why I invited you on the podcast Jen to talk a little bit about we're entering in the holiday season and it's the season of generosity and so Jen thanks for coming on the podcast.
1: Thanks for having me that feels like a um, undeserved introduction but I really appreciate it nonetheless and um you know, we are blessed, especially here, just with really neat communities, so it's easy to be um, generous when you're surrounded by the kind of people that we are.
0: Yeah. Tell me a little bit about um, your own life. and, and uh, Did you grow up in a family that modeled and embodied generosity?
1: I did. I think that both of my parents, um, I'm not sure with them that it necessarily came out of a place of... Um, service for the Lord, although, I mean, you know, it may have in some capacity, but uh, there was always a premium on generosity. Our house was the house everyone wanted to be at. Um, You know, every vacation we ever went on, people came with us. um, And I mean, I remember a specific story from, when I was in, that's been told throughout my life that when I was in preschool, the preschool was in danger of closing and my dad donated enough money to keep it open. And, um, so just those little stories, um, and I'm sure that there's lots of stories of the things my parents did that I never even heard about, you know, because they did a lot of it quietly. But, um, for sure, I think there was a premium on being aware of how blessed we are and, um, giving those blessings away. And I think especially I'm an only child. Mm-hmm. And so I think the fact that my parents were aware that there's a tendency sometimes with only children to be self-centered, I think they were real intentional about trying to teach me um, that it's not all about me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I've seen over the years with you of just your um, desire to just to meet tangible needs in the lives of others, to um, be available to, to, uh, bring a meal, to um, watch someone's kids, um, to open up your home. Um, I, I really, I've seen that, and I feel like that's um, very much how God has made you. And, uh, and I've seen that modeled in your own life of, of uh, meeting needs that no one else um, probably um, wants to get into the trenches with people in that way
1: I do think that there is something to be said for you know we all have our giftings yeah. and um, there is something about the way that God has equipped me to um, enter into the hard and messy places and that feels life-giving to me where mm-hmm. for a lot of people I think um, that would feel draining um, and so I just, I mean, I consider that a gift, like that it it does not, I mean, of course there are days when it feels hard and mm-hmm. when I would like to run the other way um, or not continue to engage, but it really isn't me. Like that people sometimes are, people are sweet and they say nice things that about, you know, how good I am at whatever this, it's not me. I mean, that is, that is who God has created me to be. And it, you know, any goodness in me is an outflow of that and my love for jesus because in my own self i'm plenty selfish Mm -hmm. and sinful
0: yeah so it's the gifts that he's given you that then you pour out for the good of others and so um yeah and and um you know seeing biblically the variety of gifts that individuals have and you know the gift of mercy the gift of serving um i i absolutely see that in you and and as you said, that's something that God has placed in your heart. And um, not only just with with you um, meeting just practical, tangible needs of people within the body, I've seen that modeled over the years of um, just saying, hey, I am open and I am available, um, and also I'm willing to be inconvenienced. Um, and And so I, I think that speaks to the... The servant, uh, the gift of service and mercy that God's put into your life and that that God's equipped you with. There's been some specific ministries that you have been a part of that I know have been very life giving to you. That I want you to talk about a little bit. Um, first of all, young lives. Tell me a little bit about what is this ministry um, and what 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 captured you to to move you to um, give your life away. In this particular way in ministry.
1: So, Young Lives is the branch of Young Life. I think more people are probably familiar with Young Life. It's been around for a real long time, and um, but it's a ministry that reaches out to high school students. Mostly, um, the original mission is unchurched high school students. So they are trying, and um, you know, trying to reach the kids that youth group doesn't reach, um, and. They have various branches of ministry that have evolved over the years, and one of them is Young Lives, and that is a Young Life-specific ministry to teen moms and their babies. And um, Years ago, when we lived in Florida and Matt was in law school, I helped get that off the ground in Tallahassee. um, I think the original pull for me um, was probably – I was um an older teenager when I was saved. so, um, and I and I found Jesus through young life. And so my young life leaders had a just incredible impact on my faith because they showed up, and they hung in there, and they met me right where I was. And so I have always loved the Ministry of young life as a whole. I think the draw for me to the Ministry of Young Lives is knowing that, God has created me for the hard places, for the hard people that I think um I just I have my heart breaks for the people that maybe others want to ignore. Yeah. Um and so, and I think just having come to faith a little later in life, I mean, you know, as a teenager, I made plenty of mistakes before I found Jesus. And so I'm very much aware of my own sinfulness and that um, how much I needed the grace of Christ in my life. And so I think it's easier for me maybe than some other people to look at these women who have made on the surface some really bad choices that have led them to some really hard places. And so being able to walk with them and to pour the love of Christ into them the way that other leaders have done for me – just has come kind of easily and it's um there are well I say that <laughs> when I train new leaders now I tell them that it is messy hard ministry these are this is not uh it's just not neat it it is these are women who are walking a really difficult road um a, a road that is somewhere stuck between teenagehood and and very adult problems. Mm-hmm. And with that comes a lot of complications. And so when I say that it's easy, it's not. It's it's very messy and difficult. But for me, it feels like a joy to be able to enter into those things and to look at them and know that God loves them. And so we should, but also that He is ultimately the answer mm-hmm. to all the issues that they face, that I can give them diapers and we can feed them. And we do those things because that's, you know, scripture is we're called Mm -hmm. to do them. But ultimately what I desperately want is for them to know the saving love of Christ, because um, without that, the rest of it really doesn't matter. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. What a picture of, of the church and the body of Christ, um, meeting those needs in a way. And as we read in the gospels, just seeing Jesus, loving and meeting tangible needs. Uh, When you you say messy, uh, what have you experienced as some of the challenges with this particular type of ministry?
1: Oh, goodness. Um, You know, not universally so, but a lot of the girls that we're dealing with um, are struggling uh, financially Mm financially. And for family support, um, we have, there. like I said, there are exceptions. There are some of our girls who are loved so well and supported so well. But um, the need is just great, you know. I mean, if you are a teenager without a stable job, without a high school diploma, which is so much of what we're dealing with, um, and without a model of what it looks like to make different choices, which is what a lot of, these girls are facing, um, yeah. I mean, I, I can't tell you how often I get a phone call that someone's lights have been turned off. And so there's a little bit of a scramble and, and a, and a push to pray and say, Lord, where do we rescue? And, you know, I could find the money. I, we have an incredibly generous congregation at fellowship and, and people meet needs over and over in quiet ways that nobody will ever see. And, um, so I, I, I feel confident in my ability to swoop in and rescue fairly frequently, but ultimately that's not always best. Right. So just trying to discern where do we where do we come in and meet every need and, and where do we kind of step back and let God work, knowing that we can't necessarily, you know, that ultimately he's the Savior and not us. And um, the girls are precious. Their babies are wonderful. And, man, they make – I mean, we've got one graduating next month, and I just couldn't be proud of her if she was my own. I mean, she is – she's doing it and it's hard and it's hard to finish high school while trying to parent a baby. But she is, um, we have two that graduated last year that are in college and, um, have incredible career goals. And I'm just, I'm so, so proud of them. But with all of those good choices just comes the heartbreak of watching them make some choices that that aren't good. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and 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 uh, and I think just that part of helping people to create some what I would just call scaffolding in their life. That oftentimes you're dealing with situations that home life, economic reasons. Um, they they are very much they don't have the basic. Societal structures that are there, and so so much of this work is very much this discipling work. It's it's life on life. It's building relationships with these young women, um, but it's also helping coach them uh, of just the very the very basics. Correct of this is how you um, uh, have integrity. This is how you show up for a job if you're working. Uh, this is how you manage your money. So you're actually getting into some real specific, tangible details of their lives.
1: That's right. I mean, there's just life skills that, um, you know, we all need somebody to teach us those things. We don't come knowing any of that. And if they haven't had those, then that's absolutely the role of some of our mentors, you know, I think we have way more mentors, um you know, what what we call our leaders in in a young lives setting than you would in a young life setting because for most of our high school kids, you know, they can manage um a leader could manage ten kids, and they could disciple fairly well, you know, to check in and to do small groups and stuff. I try real hard not to pair my mentors with more than one or two girls because it's it's intense, and they there's a lot of need, and we don't want to burn out the people who are willing to. To serve you do you just have to be um things that maybe would come without even thinking for somebody who has been raised in a more stable environment Um, and again I mean I'm thinking of some of our girls that this is just not true of at all but some of them it just you know they just didn't have that modeling and um I think one of the neatest things for me is that they learn and then they teach each other and so it's not all top down you Mm -hmm. know we were sitting at a meeting uh, at Southside High School with two of our girls, and um, they didn't really know each other. They went to school together. and um, But I said, well, what is the hardest part about de- being a teen mom? And she said, it's so lonely. I don't have friends who are doing this. And the other girl who didn't know her before this day said, well, now you have a friend, you have me. And I thought, oh, praise God, that mm-hmm. is – what this is supposed to look like because this girl who was a little further down the road who we had poured into, you know, now is able to say, hey friend, let me show you that, you know, we don't give Kool-Aid to babies at six months old. I Mm -hmm. mean, you know, you just, she knows better now and she can, you know, she can kind of speak into the life of her friend. And so that's our hope. I mean, the reason that I do get to the privilege of doing any ministry that I do is that I always say that community makes me brave um, because the community that God has surrounded us with, I can say yes to some crazy stuff because I'm not doing any of it alone. I mean, I I don't, we do not operate in a vacuum. I can't think of the last need that we had that somebody didn't step in and meet, and rarely is that me actually meeting the need. That tends to be me asking people that I know that are equally, if not more so, generous than we are or more willing to give, and and people consistently step in. And so if, for me, community makes me brave, mm, then that. that's what I want for these girls. I mm-hmm. mean, community for them can make them brave, and I have this hope that, you know, as they start to find Jesus and walk with him, they get community, but not only community for the sake of community, but biblical community. Mm-hmm. And um, what a gift to women who are walking such a difficult road to give them something that, you know, the love of Christ, a saving knowledge of him and community surrounding that, the things they can overcome and accomplish in that is, um, it's just, mm-hmm. I don't know, it gives me chills to even think about it.
0: Yeah, it takes a church. <laughs> it does. Yeah, it, yeah, it takes a community. <laughs> and, and you're seeing that played out. And you're also, um, with those who are leading in this ministry, it is a marathon. It's not a sprint. Amen. Right.
1: Amen. I think, um, you know, it's it's hard. Now we've got COVID, right? So like, mm-hmm. you know, we were trucking along, feeling so good about all that God had accomplished, and He really did. And I think it's important to say, like, I think sometimes when people hear the story of Young Lives, um, that Bethany Cooper and I started praying about Young Lives five years ago, and so, you know, it looks like and a year's time, even in the midst of a pandemic, God has done some amazing things. And I mean, we have gone from no other mentors besides Bethany and I to 10, wow. you know, which is incredible. Um, And all of these moms that we've been able to reach and all that we've done, even in the midst of it. But what, you know, doesn't show unless you know the story behind it is that literally for five years, Bethany and I, we had both been involved in this separately and just had a real heart for it. And we kept meeting And God just kind of kept saying, not yet, Mm. not yet. This is not, you know, and so we were just, we would just pray. And, um, you know, about a year and a half ago, I just, you know, kind of called her and said, do you still think about this? And at the time I was in the midst of dealing with cancer Mm. and, um, (laughs) and she's like, well, this doesn't seem like the time. And I was like, yeah, I, you know, I don't know. I just can't shake it. And she's like, okay, well let's pray. And then when I kind of got the all clear on the, um, cancer stuff, she said, well, maybe, maybe this is time. And so, I think it is. It's a it's a marathon. I think just that missional living that I mean your wife talks about so often and in general is mm-hmm. a marathon. Nothing yes. nothing happens overnight and sometimes it's easy to look at what other people are doing and assume that it's been easy or that it's happened quickly. quickly yeah. And um, you know, God rarely works that sometimes he does, but I mean God rarely works that way. I think so often he's sh- using the process of forming ministries or giving us a calling or things like that to shape us long before anybody ever sees anything done publicly. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I love the, this was birthed out of a time of we're praying, we're seeking, uh, it, it was years before there was any work done. I think we have a tendency to let's get to work. Let's, let's do things. Let's be activistic, uh, without pulling back and, Seeking the Spirit and saying, "God, what is it that you have?" And so, so often in ministry, when God goes before us, uh, we see the we see the results of that. And I love that part of your story of h- how this was something that was birthed through many, many years of prayer, discernment, seeking, asking, and uh, and now you're beginning to see the the work and the the fruit of that as you have more and more people you know, want to join this long road of ministering to people uh, in this capacity. And it's so important.
1: I laugh when I end up meeting with somebody who says, well, I'd like to be involved. I kind of think I try to scare them off, and, and it's not my intention, but I just want them to go in with their eyes open and say, like, you know, these, uh, a lot of times these girls have been hurt. They are, um, they have walls built to, you know, mm-hmm. high heaven. They are not interested. And, and so it it is long, tedious marathon type work. And so um, I always know that once I've given the disclaimer about all the hard things that we, you know, mm-hmm. face and, and the moments when it's just really challenging If they're still on board, then I think, okay, then I think maybe God has Mm. called you to this. And um, I am blessed to serve with some incredible women who they are. They're just willing to show up in the trenches and do the hard things. And, um, you know, we talk a lot about just being willing to embrace being uncomfortable until it's not uncomfortable anymore. Mm. Because there is no way to walk up in a school introduce yourself to some kids that don't know you who are thinking who is this old woman who's come to hang out with us at school and, you know, have it not be uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. It's just going to be. And, um, but I was struck that even after not being able to be in the schools for months because of COVID, we went back last week and it was just like, we picked up where, you know, Mm -hmm. where it was, Oh, it was so good. And it's because we did the work, you know, I mean, the Mm -hmm. first few times we were there, I think we all felt miserable. It was so hard, but, um, God is just faithful, and uh, I don't know. It's been it's been so fun after wondering for years, like oh God, what is the deal? Why would you put this on both of our hearts and then have it feel impossible? You know, um, but it wasn't. We just had to be patient and wait on His timing. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, patience, um, taking risk, being willing to embrace the uncomfortable reality. Um, Uh, kind of acknowledge that in the beginning it does feel awkward as you're building those relationships but then once the relationships are built and you're able to enter into the the details and the nuances of these young women uh and and really come alongside of them and help them develop important life skills and and that's not Uh, that you're doing that, but also you're doing this work of discipleship, of talking about Jesus, of talking about redemption, of talking about the gospel. And uh, and, and as we see in church history, when the gospel would take root within a particular city, um, there were people that were converted, their lives were changed, but then you also saw uh, society change. Uh, you saw areas that had high rate of uh, divorce, alcoholism, that began to change as a result of a, a life that has been redeemed and changed. And so um, you're very much, yes, you're meeting practical needs, but you're also sharing the love of Christ with these young women. And, um, and I just think that is so important and so powerful.
1: It, it's just, um, it's a neat opportunity because I think that, you know, we could go in and we could preach a sermon and, and God uses that sometimes. Mm-hmm. I mean, sometimes my husband is, um, way better at like outright evangelism than me. Um, you know him well, and mm-hmm. he would, he would just present the gospel and there would be no hesitation. Um me and for a lot of these women that we're dealing with that relationship building while we talk about the gospel it matters um mm-hmm. to them and because I don't have anything inherently in common with most of these women not nothing but there's there's lots of barriers to commonality mm-hmm. you know and so what what we try to do is for them to know that we love them and that gives us the opportunity to tell them that Jesus loves them too and there is definitely a risk of sometimes, um, it's hard, it's hard to present the gospel, right. And it's hard to say the hard things. And so I'm constantly fighting that urge to just do the nice things because that's the part that's easy for me, loving well, and showing up I can do, but we have to remember that, you know, what, I mean, that whole, uh, saying about share the gospel, if necessary, use words. Well, it's always necessary to use words Mm -hmm. to share the gospel. Mm -hmm. And so I think I try to for myself and for my mentors, remind them that, you know, yes, we show up, yes, we meet the tangible needs, but we also have to do the work of actually presenting the gospel Mm -hmm. because that's how they actually learn about Christ. Yeah,
0: and that's how they actually change, and it's that what is it that we can do that's distinct and different than any other social organization, and I, I think that's where we believe we have, we actually have the truth and we have the hope, but that doesn't dismiss the we're going to go and we're going to help you learn how to raise this baby and how to be a good mom. And we're going to watch your kids while you're going to go on a job interview. And just those practical things are very important, but they can't be removed from um, the the gospel conversations that take place in this sort of way.
1: They do, and they have to, they have to be hand in hand. And I think that, you know, one of my favorite things about young lives is the potential for generational impact, because Mm. as we're loving on these moms, we have mentors who, and these babies are little. So, I mean, they're not actually grasping, but you know, the gospel, but these, uh, childcare volunteers are praying over these babies as they're there. And, um, I mean, I've even formed some relationships with the moms of my teen moms. So Mm. women who are, gosh, I feel old, but they're, they're, my age you know and so it we just have a unique opportunity to reach families and um and it's so fun it's just so fun to get to go and you know we'll be dropping off some diapers or whatever and inevitably somebody's mom is there or somebody's aunt and I just get to have a little bit and it's just you know a little bit of building block after building block but I really believe that God can use this sort of ministry and others like it to reach generations and not just, you know, not just the moms, even if that's what it looks like on its face.
0: Mm, I love that. Yeah, the vision that, that this is actually this long, slow, arduous, um, difficult work um, has the potential for g- multi-generational impact because you're... you're breaking generational curses, you're helping to realign people to uh, actually healthy habits and the way they live and um, the way they engage the world and how they raise their own family. So it's it's very, very significant and very exciting. So if somebody's listening to this podcast and is saying, okay, maybe God is stirring my heart to be involved with Young Lives, what's next steps?
1: Um. I feel certain that Will can put you in touch with me. Okay. <laughs> if you know, Um, you know, we, we do. I mean, we need money and mentors and prayer and people to show up with dinner. You know, the, the thing that Young Life, to plan a Young Life Club for high schoolers is a lot of work. I mm-hmm. mean, you ask anybody who's been involved in youth ministry, what they do is heroic work, hard work young lives is just especially difficult because we can't present the gospel to this population without feeding them without providing childcare. Um, it's logistically transportation is a nightmare. Um, so, I mean, we just, when we are able and prayerfully are hoping to be able to gather again as a big group in December, but when that gets to happen, um, it's just a lot of moving pieces to make it happen for these girls. And so, I just cling on to the fact that this will never be a numbers game. I mean, we don't want it to be a numbers game, right? Like, I, I don't want to see large numbers of women in their teens dealing with pregnancy and parenting. That is not the goal. But as long as it's happening, we want to meet them where they are. And – um, but even to make it happen for five or ten of these moms, it's a major undertaking. Mm-hmm. So I will always – I say, you know – I, I can plug you in. There, I, There is no mm-hmm. doubt that, I mean, even, you know, it's mostly a women-driven ministry, but, um, you know, bless Gary Hoyt, he brings food, and, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, we, we find ways even for the men in our lives to get involved. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yes, I'm happy to put you to work. Mm-hmm.
0: So if, if you're listening to this podcast and and hearing this type of ministry, Um, Yeah, I would encourage you to, if you know Jen, to follow up with Jen. If you know me, um, you can go on our church's website, send me an email. Um, This is a very, um, very worthy um, ministry, and I I can imagine the the volume of – all hands on deck uh, that are needed for this. And
1: if you know of a teen mom, we would Mm -hmm. love to be connected. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, I think that's one of our greatest challenges is just finding, you know, it's, it's women who are either pregnant or parenting from 13 to roughly 18. We don't kick them out and say, Oh, you're, you know, 19 now you're out, but um, in that general age range. And so, yeah, just, I mean, putting people on our radar that we would love to be able to reach out to, because we know that they're out there. The statistics tell us that, it's a real problem in Madison and surrounding counties. And so we are just trying to, um, but, but getting connected, especially in COVID world where these women are not necessarily in school and seeing their guidance counselors regularly and stuff. It's just kind of hard.
0: So in addition to young lives, um, (laughs) you, uh, you are modeling generous living. Um, Tell us a little bit about the aim house.
1: Oh goodness. Okay. So, here's another story of years of you know um god going before us before we had the slightest clue what was going on um so my mother had um a degenerative brain disease called uh frontal lobe dementia and um she lived in florida and we lived here and we live out on a bunch of acreage and there was a house next door For a long time. I mean, then we just had normal neighbors. It was kind of adjacent to our property. I didn't really think a whole lot about it. Um, and as my mother deteriorated, like I said, I'm an only child and my parents are divorced. And so that was, you know, I was kind of it as far as she the type of dementia she had did not allow her to go into a home because she was violent and so and she was young. And so she would have been a threat to the older residents. They just couldn't handle her. So the option was basically a psych hospital or to be with us. And obviously, I mean, I loved my mother, and I didn't want to see her go into a subpar facility. And um, so she came, and long story short, it was a horrendous two years caring for her. I think, you know, you were part of the reason I stayed sane through all of that. It took a lot of counseling not to just go off the deep end completely, but um, we cared for her, and we cared for her initially in our home, And that was just really disruptive to our children. We have three boys, and, um, you know, it was just – it was hard. And so um, I was out back uh, trying to garden, which I'm a miserable failure at, (laughs) Um, and I had called on this house that had gone up for sale. I mean, it was 200 yards out our back door, and I thought, well, if we could just put her there somehow – and the realtor had said, no, there's an offer on it. You know, it's going to close. And I thought, well, we missed that. Okay, God's going to have to provide something else. And so as close to audibly as I have ever heard the Lord speak, I i mean, I was just sitting there digging in the dirt, and he said, call on the house. And I was like, okay, well, that makes me look dumb. So I'd rather not, because I just did that. And she told me, call on the house. I was like, okay, Lord, I'm willing, you know, I'll call, whatever. And so through a series of events, she said, you know, the financing for the other people fell through, and I said, well, great, mm-hmm. let me let me buy the house, you know. Um, and so we essentially turned that house into a memory care unit for my mom, and that's all I did for two years. Um, it was, uh, you know, I hung on to a few friendships of people who were willing to show up for me when I couldn't give them anything, and I tended to my mother, my children, and my husband, and that was it. Mm-hmm. Um, I gave up every ministry every hobby every everything I did because that's I mean God was pretty clear you have time for this and this only Mm -hmm. and so all that to say when we talk about AIM House it's hard not to know the history so we have Mm -hmm. this house out on our property um and I don't there is nothing wrong with people who rent houses out for income and you know that was what would make sense on paper is we would just when my mother passed away um we would just rent the house out and uh we just couldn't get okay with that. We felt like God had a real specific purpose for that house. And so initially, um, your sweet wife helped me fix it up, and we put a lot of hours into just making it really nice. And we held it real open-handedly and said, Lord, you know, if there's people who need this house, just bring them to us. And, you know, Matt was super enthusiastic. He said, let's just use it. Let's use it for ministry. Let's be willing to do whatever God has for us with it. And so... um, we have, and we were at first just uh, kind of waiting for God to bring us people, and He did. I mean, we had a family live with us for a while, and um, and it was it was good. Um, I think He and I both had a real we um we just both have a vision for you know as parent we are parents of boys who are doing it horribly imperfectly. Um, you know, not we don't have all the answers not by a long shot. I feel like I'm you know fumbling in the dark most days, but we have a heart for young men, and um. Just the challenges they face. And um, our life is very boy driven <laughs> every day, anyway. And so, as th- through the years, Matt and I kind of talked and we said, What if, you know, the house was open to young men who were in a hard spot, whether they were homeless or aging out of the foster care system or just in a bad living uh, situation where they needed some discipleship, where we could teach them the love of Jesus, where they could come to church with us, where they could see what a family looks like a very wild crazy imperfect family um and just be part of of life and we could have them there for six months a year however long god has it has them with us and we could um just help them kind of see a way forward and um similar to young lives hopefully as we're meeting those tangible needs we can start to meet some of the spiritual needs as well and so through a series of events um like We we thought about it, prayed about it for a long time, and then sort of over the the time span of about a month and a half or two months, it just sort of came together (laughs) really, really quickly. And so we have a young man living with us right now that, um, you know, I'm just really proud of him. He's doing the hard work Mm -hmm. to um, climb out of a hard situation that he comes from. Mm -hmm. And desperately, you know, when you ask him what his motivation for wanting to change his life is, is a love for his family. He loves his family, and they are in a rough spot, and he wants to break those generational curses. He does mm-hmm. not want this to be his story. And um, the work of changing that kind of level of brokenness is um is hard Mm -hmm. it's hard and sad and heartbreaking and (laughs) messy oh my um it's you know there's there's rarely a day that goes by where there's not something that some fire that we're dealing with or putting out or you know um but we have a couple extra bedrooms in the house and we're just kind of holding open-handedly to that and trying to I said to him when he moved in I said you know what I want for you is that my boys have an immense amount of um, opportunity and privilege and just connections by virtue of who we are. I mean, our our and so you talk about giving it away. We want these young men to have some of the same benefits that our children have. I think, I was just saying to somebody yesterday, I think that if people could see... The kind of poverty and struggle that happens 10 miles from where I live, mm. it would just knock you over. I mean, I, I, you know, and maybe you've driven through that area and you've seen it a little, but if you really know the things that these people are struggling with, these are good, I mean, just kind, sweet people who are in really hard places. Mm-hmm. And um, it's just, I, I don't know. I don't know that once you know about it, you can be the same.
0: Yeah can't ignore it. it. It prompts us to say, well, first, just in your journey to pray, uh, Lord, I'm disrupted by this. I don't want to dismiss it. I'd want to embrace the, the disruption that this brings. I want to pray and ask and seek and knock. And I also want to be able to say, God, what do I do with what you've given me? And I think, both you and Matt have done that very well and 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 I know you both very well and I know the journey that you both have been on in that but I the thing that inspires me and hopefully as people listen to this podcast inspires others is that you guys haven't settled for a conventional life the conventional life is let's um, we've You know Matt's got a really good job, and we have financial resources, and we have um, means, and we have freedom, and we have privilege, and we have things that have been given to us. And you guys have said, what are we to do with the resources that God has given us? And I love that your journey has been about how do we bless others, and how do we leverage this for the kingdom of God? That we don't just simply say, well, let's build bigger barns, which is the conventional script that most people, most people in, in, uh, North Jackson very much. That's the conventional uh, script is, um, well, obviously we've been, uh, given financial means. And so let's, let's use it on ourselves. And, uh, the thing that inspires me, and that's why I wanted you on this podcast is I think God has Um, given you a vision of a life with open hands to say, God, how do we, um, uh, as you bless us, how do we become a conduit? How do we become a conduit of blessing to others? And both you and Matt are in the trenches um, that this is not something that is seen. It's not something that is publicized. um, It's not something, uh, dare I say, you know, romantic uh, that, um, that, that we can look at and, and I think that's the danger of um, any sort of mission work is it tends to make us feel better rather than to say um, no we're going we're gonna to get in the trenches over the long haul and we don't know what the outcome is going to be and we don't know what the, the end is going to be but we're going to take the next step and we're going to be faithful and we're going to see everything that God has given us as a conduit uh, for his kingdom. And uh, and I think God looks at individuals like both you and Matt and says, okay, I can entrust you. I can entrust you with more.
1: Uh, you know, it's hard. It's hard to even hear you say those things because, you know, we're all aware of our own sinfulness, right? Yep. So I'll tell you, I really like to travel and I like to mm-hmm. spend a lot of money on mm-hmm. things that, you mm-hmm. know, and um, it's funny. I think the pandemic has shown all of us a few of our idols. But um, I mean, Yes, I can say that through Christ, and not of who I am, not not of my own sinfulness. Um, he, I, I don't, I don't know that we want. I think we're both a little bit more aware than we used to be, and I hope that ten years from now we're more aware of it than we are now. That um, all of this passes away, mm-hmm. and I mean, it's just God's people and God's word, or or what perseveres, you know, into eternity, and the rest of it is, it's just. I don't know. I I, I can't – I hate our gravel driveway, and there is part of me that would love to pave it. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, if I'm being real, I just mm-hmm. would really like to spend $20,000 on it. Mm-hmm. But then <laughs> when you know that, like, there's just people who can't afford food – and again, gosh, we're selfish. I just – I really struggle. I don't want anyone to put us up on a pedestal. Mm-hmm. We mm-hmm. mess up. We – you know, our priorities are not always right. Mm-hmm. Um, But I don't want – and I don't want my kids – to aspire to the American dream. Mm -hmm. That's, it's, it's not, it's not worth living Mm -hmm. for. It's just not. It doesn't,
0: it doesn't, it doesn't provide. It doesn't, it doesn't meet the deeper hunger and thirst that God made for us doesn't mean there's anything wrong with the enjoyment of things. I mean, we know that God says God gives us good gifts to enjoy. And so, um, you know, we're always in that um, that tension. We're always in that struggle. And I think that's actually the healthy place when people can actually say, okay, uh, what do we do with this? How do we wrestle with this? How do we wrestle with uh, what we've been given and how do we leverage that? And there is no formula. There is no five steps. There is no one way that it looks for anyone and everyone. Cause it can be easy to become pharisaical to say, well, I give everything away. Therefore that makes me better than you (laughs) and more self-righteous. So we don't want to go down that path. But I think the, what you and Matt have modeled is just the wrestling and the, um, uh, you know, just saying, I just simply don't want to settle for, this type of life and uh, in a willingness to to be inconvenienced and a willingness to wrestle and be uncomfortable. And like you said, once you have seen what exists within our city to say, I can't ignore that. I can't, I can't bury my head in the sand. I don't quite know what it looks like and I'm willing to be a part of the long road of the marathon. And um, I'm not sure anybody knows what
1: the I don't I don't think we have solutions honestly right. on this side of heaven mm-hmm. I, but I think that if we can change it for the one I mean yes. Jesus cares about the one yes. and so yes. we should care about the one and I am under no illusions that we will ever change the poverty yeah. on any large scale that it exists yeah. here or you know or reach all of the young men who are lost and fighting to stay out of gangs because that's what they know, you know, I mean, because it gives them a family. And I just want to shake some of these young men that I have and say, "Ah," you know, you think Mm -hmm. that's the best, but that is not God's best for you. God Mm -hmm. has a family for you. And it's not that. And, um, it is, it's just, but I mean, the truth of it is it is hard as it is. And as some days (laughs) how I would just like to chuck it all and go on vacation and whatever, I, I I don't, I don't want to always it's, it's not enjoyable, but I think once you have tasted a little bit of getting to walk out the sort of things that God has made you to do, mm-hmm. I mean, you know this, you get to do what God made mm-hmm. you to do for a job, mm-hmm. you don't really want to go back. I mean, I, you know, I don't, I don't, I would never trade those moments where I am just certain that God has intervened and God is working for anything. I mean, there's, there's nothing better on this side of heaven than just seeing the, you know, the actual tangible work of the Holy spirit and getting to be even a tiny little part of that. I mean, it, it's just the best. Mm. It's, it's so great. Yeah. So,
0: well, Jen, thanks for coming on the podcast today. Um, I'm leaving this interview very, uh, very inspired. And I hope that as people listen to this um, they're going to be inspired through your story. And as you said, and as I would say of my own life, we're always a work in progress and we're always in process with this. But I thank you that you've had the courage to um, to wrestle through these things and say, um, God, what what do I do? How do I walk in the work that you have prepared beforehand? Um, and you're doing that, and that inspires me.
1: I appreciate you letting me be here, and I think it's you know it's important to say it's not going to look like for other people like it looks mm-hmm. like for us. Yeah. But as believers, God has a work prepared in advance for mm-hmm. every one of us, and so I think if we're just willing to pray and step back and say Lord you know what what is the inconvenience for me mm-hmm. where do you want I mean I have the dangerous prayer you know Lord interrupt my day mm. um you know pray it see what he does and and be willing to step out and do the scary things and if you're blessed like me and Matt and you surround yourself with really good people it's a little bit less scary mm-hmm. so I appreciate you having me yeah
0: thanks Jen. Thank you for joining us today on the Story Form podcast. For more information about Fellowship Bible Church in Jackson, you can visit us at fellowshipjackson.com. Join us next time as we enter into the story of others together.